You're listening to the Functional Fertility Podcast, and I'm your host, Kiara Orbe, Functional Fertility Nutritionist. This podcast is dedicated to optimizing your fertility using real intentional nourishment through nutrition and lifestyle choices. Each week, you'll find practical steps through conversations with health experts in this space or solo episodes from me helping you get closer to creating your family. Everything shared on the podcast is rooted in love and science and is meant to help you cut through fertility myths so you can take control of your fertility journey while having fun doing so. And if anything resonates with you, please feel free to leave a five-star review and rating so that we can continue having incredible guests on the show. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Hey, Functional Fertility Fam. Welcome to another episode. Today on the show, we have Amanda Montalvo, Women's Health Dietitian. So Amanda and I have known each other for a little bit now, but this is our first time chatting. We know each other through the Root Cause Protocol Institute and going to class together, going to class together. Well, it was virtual, but um, we were in the same class and it was really cool like, getting to know her over Instagram. But today was the first time I actually got to chat with her in a face-to-face set- setting. And can I just say how it felt like I was chatting with a friend. She's so kind and so fun, and she's exactly how she seems on Instagram. So today on the show, we talk about birth control, painful periods, acne, um, post-pill PCOS, being an athlete, and healing hormone imbalances prior to preconception. She also shares a tiny surprise on the show, so be sure to listen to the entire episode. And I hope you guys enjoy. Hey, Amanda. Thanks for being on the Functional Fertility Podcast. How are you this morning? I'm good. I'm excited to talk with you and just kind of see you face-to-face since I feel like we've only really talked on Instagram. I know, right? Yeah, I feel like it's been so long, a way overdue. Um, I'm really excited for today's podcast episode because we're kind of just going to I don't know. I want to talk about you. Like you said, we just have known each other over Instagram and I just want to get to know you a little bit more, have our listeners get to know you and your story. Um, I know that you have a history with birth control, right? Could you start off by telling us a little bit about um, your history with it? Yeah, that's that's really how I got into women's health. Everyone's always like, oh, were you always like super passionate about women's health? I'm like, no, I, I was an athlete. I mean, I think it's important now, obviously, but I was an athlete. I was very focused on sports nutrition, but when I was in dietetic school, we go through this whole process where you have to like learn how to educate people on what nutrients are depleted or what you have to be like food interactions that you can have with certain medications. And the pill came up. And that's the first time I had ever thought about how, oh, yeah, that is a prescription med, you know, because you almost like it's so normalized. I feel like that you don't really think about it as like a big deal. Like you're like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's just the pill. So when I that was my first kind of like, oh, maybe I should look into this more. I think I was like 19 or 20 at the time. And so I started doing a little more research on it. And I was like, wow, okay, I should definitely be replacing these nutrients. No one's ever told me this. You know, I I felt I was like really mad at first because I was like, my doctor has never mentioned this at all. Um, And I was dealing with some depression. And 
I was like, I I just didn't feel like myself. And I was like, you know what? Maybe it's the pills. So that I decided to come off. I uh, didn't do anything to prep my body. I just came off. Thought My doctor told me to just stop taking it if I wanted to stop taking it. So that's what I did. And my whole life changed after that since I, I didn't get my period. My skin got way worse. I always struggle with acne, but it, it got wet, like the worst I've ever seen it. Um, and started my hair started falling out. Like, you know, all your kind of classic things when you're not cycling, you're not making hormones. Um, and that, and no one could help me. They're just like, go back on the pill. That'll fix your issues. And I was like, that's not a good enough answer. I just felt like that's insane. I'm like, I was perfectly healthy before and now I'm dealing with all this stuff and no one thinks it could possibly be from the pill, you know? So that's when I first started digging in and I just got obsessed and it changed my whole life. So how long were you on the pill for prior to getting off? I was on it for seven years. Oh my gosh. So, okay. So how old were you? You were like... I was like 14 when I went on it. Okay. Okay. So you may have just started cycling not too long before that. Why did you I actually, go? Uh, I actually got my period at a young age. I was like 10 when I got it. Probably not great. Um, so I, I did have, I did like, I did understand what my cycle was like before. Obviously it's, it can be very erratic when you're younger. Um, cause your, you know, brain is still developing, but, um, I went on it mostly for acne. They're like, oh, the pill's going to help your skin. Um, but I was still using crazy topicals and taking antibiotics. I took antibiotics for two years for my skin. I know. I didn't know any better. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. We, I guess all of us feel the same way. I went on antibiotics once for my skin. And I, at the same time, I was trying to take antibiotics for reoccurring yeast infections and um, gut issues. And so, I mean, yeah, I think we were all bombarded by antibiotics, unfortunately, but dang. Okay. So you got off the pill and you started, you know, you obviously didn't prep your body, didn't know anything about that. And then you struggled with acne and hair loss. And how long did it take for you to get your period back? It took almost a year to get my period back. And I was just kind of, I mean, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just kind of like, okay, let me make sure that I'm like replenishing. I was really focusing on replenishing what I knew the pill depleted because that was really all that I had learned at the time. And then I started to just try, when I did research online, like there wasn't, this is like 10 years ago, you know, 11 years, like there wasn't really a lot of information out there. Um, but most of it was from like naturopaths and stuff. And a lot of them had a lot of herbal recommendations. So I did try to experiment with a lot of herbs, but I was at the time I was, uh, rowing in college. So I was a student athlete and then I was in the dietetics program. So I was, I mean, there's no way I was burning the candle at both ends. I also worked outside of school. It was just like, I maybe got like six hours of sleep a night if I was lucky, you know, plus like all the way over training there. I couldn't, there's not enough like nourishment I could have given my body at the time, even if I knew everything I know now that would have helped. I don't think. Mm -hmm. Just like running off fumes. Um, so were you always an athlete or like, when did that start? I danced my whole life. And then I started lifting weights when I first 
went to college and that's when I was like, I was originally going to school for nursing and I was like, oh, I'm so interested in, you know, health and fitness. And, but I was always interested in food. My mom is an amazing cook and I grew up, you know, making everything from scratch with her. So I was very passionate about that. And I was like, can I make this a job? And then I looked it up online and I was like, oh, that's what a dietitian is, I guess. And so I ended up changing my major. I transferred schools and that's how I became a dietitian. That's amazing. And so, um, you know, you started weightlifting and then how, like, what did that look like being an athlete and how you feel like that may have contributed to not getting your period back or just having hormone imbalances in general? Yeah, I think, um, I, so I was like lifting weights and stuff. I was never, I was very lucky. I was never really crazy about cardio, so I didn't overdo it. Um, but then when I, met my now husband, he did CrossFit. And so I was like, let's do it. Like, I'll definitely try it. I love working out. And I got very into that. So at the time when all this was happening, I was training for rowing, which is mostly cardio based. You know, we were mostly rowing on boats and then on the ergs. And then I was still, we still had strength training and I was still doing CrossFit because I wanted to be good. I wanted to compete. Um, I was competing at the time. So it was just a lot of volume of working out and a lot of intensity. And obviously I was young, so I could, you know, your body can handle so much when you're younger, but I do think that that I was just so stressed and running off of stress hormones that that was really preventing me from ovulating. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious. I mean, obviously it sounds like you loved those things. How have you been able to find your balance with the things that you love, but maybe not to an extent where they're depleting you. Yeah. I, I did continue when I, obviously I graduated, I wasn't rowing anymore. That was a huge help. Um, (laughs) so that's like a significant decrease from the volume of working out that I was doing and intensity because you're getting up at like 4am to go to the lake. It's crazy. So I know it was, I, I think about college now and I'm like, I don't know what I was thinking. Like I just, oh my gosh. But, um, I still do work out. I went through like this mainly focusing on just competing in CrossFit. And so I was definitely training like two to three hours a day, most days, but I just, I've always had this weird thing where like, I can't do double days. You know, a lot of people do that with CrossFit. They would train twice a day for end up training for like five to six hours a day. I could never do it because I just was exhausted and I always had to work full time. So I am lucky in that I never got that extreme, but I did go through my CrossFit competition days and I was very, very into it. It was a great time of my life, but I just, I was like, I'm not feeling the way I want to feel. Like I was doing all the things I was very interested in supporting my hormone health, but I'm like, there's, it's just not computing. I also had a copper IUD, which was not, yeah, I had the first seven years. Cause I was like, basically, you know, you, you come off the pill and the doctor's like, well, do you want to get pregnant? And you're like, no. <laughs> and, and so you feel like you have no choice. I was like 21 when I got that. It was basically, I came off the pill got the copper IUD. So I would have some form of birth control because I didn't know about fam yet. Um, so yeah, I just kind of got to this place with working out where I'm like, I want to do this cause it's fun, but I don't want to burn myself out. And so I did eventually stop doing CrossFit and I would mostly just do like weightlifting and gymnastics. And 
for a while, I just did nothing, honestly. And it was probably the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, I love movement and I just, I love the gymnastics type stuff because it's just fun. It doesn't feel like you're working out. You know, you just feel like a kid. And yeah, that was really, really hard. But I was like, I just intuitively knew that if I don't give my body a break, I'm never going to be able to feel as good as I want and to work out in the way that I want for the rest of my life. So I tried to have that like long game in mind. And when I took like, I mean, I didn't do CrossFit. I still don't really do CrossFit. I might jump into a class like if, like once a week at the most. Um, but I took a break for like three to four years. And I would I did some weightlifting during that time, but there was many times where I didn't do much. Um, it was probably like a full like year of just yoga, walking, that sort of thing. And then I really felt like I rebalanced. I was like, I my body was finally not crazy stressed. I think a lot of that has to do with like work life balance as well. Because um, I, while you know, while you're going through all this, I'm also like starting a business, and that's really difficult. And I'm sure you know. I know we've talked about this before. Is like finding that balance with work and showing up for people like your clients, but then like your community on social media. It's a really hard balance. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like where I went through. And I would say probably in the last like year or two, I've really found a sweet spot with working out and moving my body and not feeling like it has to look any particular way, which is really freeing. Mm, yeah. How liberating. So you were on the cover RUD for seven years when you were taking that time away from movement. Well, like, I mean, you were walking and doing yoga and all that stuff, but were you off the cop RUD at that time too? Or when did you des- decide to get off? Yeah, I got that out. I'm just, so I think it was like four years ago now. So yeah, so that – and that was when – I was still – I was not really doing CrossFit. My husband joined the military and it kind of like changed everything for me because we like moved a bunch and you don't really have a gym. And then – so I was doing a lot of working out at home or like on base and it's like they don't have CrossFit type stuff there. <laughs> um, so that also helped with keeping me from overexercising because I just didn't have access to it. But yeah, I, I got that out and then that was – when I got when I chose to get my copper IUD out, it was because I was having a lot of estrogen issues that despite doing all the right things, were not clearing up. And I was finally just like, you know what, I'm just going to get it taken out. I'm going to use FAM. I trust myself. Um, I think it's really sad that I didn't trust myself to recognize my fertility signs for so long because every doctor that I had talked to was like, you will get pregnant if you take this out, which I'm like, that is so unethical <laughs> when I think about it now. But um yeah, that's I, I when I got that out, I was in this I was in the frame of mind of I want to really fix this estrogen dominance issue. And I knew that changing the way that I was training was also gonna be a big part of that. So can you talk to us about the copper IUD? Because I get questions about like, okay, I don't wanna be on the pill anymore, but what do you think of the copper IUD? So I know about that. (laughs) Yeah, that, you know, I think that it, the thing with a copper IUD is like, it's not great for everyone. First of all, um, it will most likely make you have a very painful and heavy period. So if you're someone that's already dealing with that, I'm like, please don't do that to yourself. Like that's, it's basically makes your periods debilitating, um, for those people. Some people that don't even have 
a lot of period pain end up with very debilitating periods. So that's a big consideration to take in to account. I just didn't want something hormonal, but I didn't realize how the copper was going to impact my body at the time. And the way that it works is you get the copper IUD in and all the research tells us that initially like our blood levels of copper increase right? They go up, we can see that there's a change. And it was a significant change. And then after a few weeks, it goes down. And so it's kind of like, where did that copper go? <laughs> you know, um, probably in your tissues. So I, that's like, that was my issue is that I had it in for so long. And it, my symptoms, honestly, they didn't really get bad until like probably the last two years of having it when I was finally like, I think this is from my IUD. Like I know that this can sound crazy, but I really do think this is from the copper IUD. And then when I started researching it, it was like, I mean, if you look on at anything online with the copper IUD, you'll see crazy forums with women like sharing their experience. A lot of that is real. There are plenty of women that have the copper ID and they don't think they have any symptoms. And I think that's great that it works for some people, but I just don't think that we can discount that where is the copper being stored, right? And it's creating an inflammatory response in your body, which is, I think that if anything was probably like one of the biggest things for the estrogen issues I was having is my body was just so inflamed because um, I'd had this IUTN for seven years. But yeah, it, it can lead to a lot of issues and like inflammatory pelvic issues. Uh, so if you have it and you're like starting to experience things, I would say like it's worth getting that checked out and you can leave it in for 10 years. I'm like, should we, should we be doing that? One of my friends got hers out after 10 years and it was like black and it, I know it didn't even look like an IUD anymore. It's really crazy, but yeah, it's like, it's preventing pregnancy. It's very effective, but it's preventing pregnancy because you have something in your uterus. It's creating inflammation and the copper ions kill the sperm. Okay. Um, definitely a lot to research there and just, you know, for anyone who is on it, um, just at least getting both sides, um, not just what your doctor says, but reading those forums and just doing more research there. So you said that the copper is storing itself in, in the tissues. So could that also impact iron recycling? I think it does. And I think that's a big part of why when you see a lot of women that have had the copper IUD, they have such strong like inflammatory reactions while they have it. A lot of them have gut issues that they can't resolve um, and their iron levels look low which as you know, is like typically because they don't have enough bioavailable copper. Mm -hmm. So my understanding is that this is also not the right kind of copper that we want to help regulate iron in the body because we know that it has to be bioavailable and we know that we need vitamin A to make it bioavailable. So getting dietary copper from foods is more ideal. Um, okay, so you got off of it and you took the time to heal, really work on estrogen dominance. You had PCOS, right? When I got off the pill and I was having all those issues and I didn't have a period, they diagnosed me with PCOS. But I was like, I think this, I don't, because I didn't have any of those issues prior to taking the pill. So I do have some women in my family that have PCOS, not my immediate family though, which makes me just kind of doubt that I really do. I don't think I really have it. I think it was more of a result of just post-pill PCOS, but 
yeah, the, and that that put me that's what really put me down the women's health rabbit hole cuz I'm like what is PCOS? I've never even heard of this before. Mm, yeah. So, how long okay, so it took you a year after that to get your your period your period back. And did that look normal? Did it feel healthy or were you still like doing a few things? When I got my period back, it was so painful. It was, and when I was younger, I definitely did always have painful periods, um, painful periods and acne. Those were my main issues growing up. Even when I was on the pill though, honestly, definitely, it didn't really help. So many women say that it's like makes all their issues go away. It didn't help me at all. And that's another reason why I was like, why am I even taking this? <laughs> like, this is like not even actually helping my issues. I still had acne and I still had painful periods. And so, yeah, when at my first few periods back were just, I was so happy that I got them, but they were so painful. Ouch. Yeah. So, um, in order to really heal your body, I mean, you know, coming from your background, being a registered dietitian and then integrating like everything that you've learned, what were some things that really helped ease that pain for you and get rid of acne and all of those symptoms? A lot of it for me was figuring out why no matter what I did, I just couldn't get rid of the estrogen dominance. Even after I had the copper IUD taken out, I mean, I want to say it took at least like a year and a half to really fully resolve the estrogen dominant stuff. And a lot of it came back to like stress and just how much stress, being realistic of like how much stress do I really have in my day to day? And then how equipped is my body to handle it? Because I think sometimes we cannot even realize how stressed we are um, or even like little things that we're doing. Like I definitely was not prioritizing like eating quite enough food. I never purposely under ate once I was older. I mean, I feel like a lot of people have body issues when they're younger, like high school for sure. Um, I definitely was like not eating enough. I was like vegetarian for a year. Um, I went through that phase. I feel like a lot of people do that, but it was just a way to limit my food. You know, it wasn't, it was no other purpose than that. But yeah, I think it really took about a year and a half. And a lot of that was honing in on like, am I really managing my stress? And am I actually eating enough food? When I was kind of going through all this stuff, when I first came off the pill, I was, you know, I was in the CrossFit world. So I was paleo, you know, like, like pretty much everyone is. And so while I was eating a lot of nourishing and like nutrient dense foods, I definitely wasn't eating enough. And so that was a major focus of like, really looking more at like getting more protein and carbs in. That was a big one. I'd always had this mindset that I had to be working out a lot in order to eat a decent amount of carbs. And when I pulled back on that, I kind of naturally ate less carbs, which did not <laughs> help my body at all. And so really honing in on that and then fixing those nutrient deficiencies. But when I did a hair test and I was able to see my copper, that was like really, really just life-changing for me. I was like, I'm not crazy. It was a copper issue. The copper IUD was not helpful for me. Um, I also think the pill, I see so many women that take the pill that have crazy high copper. So I don't think it was just the copper IUD, but I think just the birth control that I chose in general. And then once I started to manage that copper, my estrogen finally started to balance out. And it wasn't something I had to work at. It was like my body was less stressed. I was actually balancing out my minerals, um, and it was it was a pretty easy transition. It just took time. Mm. So going back to stress, I 
I, I speak to so many women who are like, I'm not stressed. Like, I'm totally fine. Like, everything in my life is perfect. And then we just start going down the list of like hidden stressors. And like you said, like the lack of carbohydrates, not eating enough. Um, our bodies can feel that stress. And I think when you're younger, especially like you said, our bodies are more resilient to these stressors. And then I think for me, when I was in college, I'm mean, similar to you. I, I never did CrossFit, but I've always wanted to. I've just always been so intimidated by <laughs> CrossFitters. I don't know why, but um, I lived like the paleo lifestyle. I was hitting the gym like six days a week. And at first it felt so good. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I was drinking like a gallon of water a day, doing all my bro meals and everything. And, um, and then all of a sudden, I think that took like a total of... Um, maybe it was just like, no, it was like almost four years. That was four years of acute stress. And then I don't know. I just like, I fell off like everything. I was like, why am I so tired? Why, why do I have brain fog? Like what is going on? Why is my digestion so shitty? Um, and then I started like connecting the dots and really like pinpointing those stressors in my life where I was like, I just thought I was this little man. And I had no idea what a hormone was, how to support my ovulation. Like, yeah, like we weren't taught these things, unfortunately, but I mean, thankfully we went through it all and can now like have a better understanding of our body and all that. Um, but yeah, like just going back to what you said, stress can be hidden. It doesn't have to be an emotional stressor. Um, so, and, and I think too. I don't know, is like something that came up for me when even when you were talking about kind of like your story with how it basically, you know, four years of that. I don't think we realize, even now I try to remind myself of this, everything up that you've done in your life up till this point is going to impact your health. And it's really easy, especially when you start making food changes, supplement changes, and you're like, I'm doing all these good things for myself. Like how, you know, we get impatient with how long the healing process can take and everything. But I think it goes back to remembering it's like my body doesn't, it's never going to forget <laughs> that damage that I did in college. You know, it's not. And yes, I can support it and I can rebalance my nervous system and replenish nutrients and make sure that I don't overdo it now. But it's never going to forget all those things. And so it's it's just like good to give yourself grace if you are like wondering like, why do I not feel good immediately? I've been working on this stuff for maybe like six months to a year. It's like, it's going to take time. And I mean, you can even take one to two years to replenish just magnesium. So it's like, if you can kind of keep those things in mind, you know, it's not always our current stress. You might not have current stress, but you want to think about everything in your past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes total sense. We can definitely get impatient with our healing. And I, I know I did. I mean, I think that's only human to have those feelings and emotions. But um, it makes me think of that book, uh, The Body Keeps Score. Have you read it yeah. or heard of it? Yeah. Such a good book. <laughs> Such a good book. I love it. I think that really puts it into perspective. Like our bodies know, our bodies are so smart. And when we begin to like just really pay attention and honor that wisdom that it has, we're just like, oh, okay. Like take a step back and just like get out of the, your body's way and just say like, I know it'll take time and I'll just let you do what you need to do and just give it all the right tools and like the right healing environment and, um, removing as much stress as possible. And, um, I know in our RCP group and just like the RCP in general taught me so much about like improving the stress response, because like you said, we have businesses and that comes with its own stressors and then having 
to do everything that is inside of the business, whether that's a group program or, you know, personal life as well, like things come up. And I think um, minerals play a big role in this as well when like when we respond to stress and like having enough food in the tank and um, like our nervous system response. So did you feel like that was something that you had to learn more about like as you began healing? Yeah. And I, I think that was like, and I, a lot of my clients have these epiphany, like the same epiphany is like, when you start eating enough food, you're just like, Oh, I have, I have energy and everything is so much better. I don't have cravings and my, you know, my brain function and cognition are better. Like you almost don't realize how simple of an act it is to eat enough food in a balanced way and how big of a difference that makes. But I think that was like my light bulb of just being like, I have to always prioritize this. It doesn't matter if I feel like I'm too busy. I have to stop packing my days or that I don't take a lunch. You know, It's so easy to just feel like you have all these other things that are more important. But I just think about how it's like, no, like if you were a child, you would be like, no, you have to stop and eat. Right. Or like, and like, you're always like, do you need a snack? Are you hungry? Like nothing is ever questioned when you're a kid. You know, if you're hungry, you're like, oh, of course you're going to eat. So I trying to like reframe of, oh, I don't need this or I don't need that. And try trying to take it away from like, it doesn't matter what workout I did or did not do that day. Um, or what I like, if I, don't want to feel like guilty around food and stuff. It's so much more that it's like, no matter what, I always have to meet that basic need. And that is what allows people to have a healthy stress response and to take on more and handle things. I feel like so often that is a big thing that's holding people back. If they're like constantly stressed, deal with a lot of anxiety, um, or they just feel like that healing process is not going well. It's like, are, are your basic needs being met. Are you eating enough? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you getting outside? That's something I did not always prioritize. And it's one of the biggest things I do for myself now. It's like the best gift I can give myself every day is like getting sunshine. And when you start to do these things, like you notice, you know, you when you don't get enough of all those things, you're like, oh, I'm cranky. I don't feel right. My digestion's weird. And you can, for me, it was really just like making that connection, like not always looking to treat a symptom and asking myself, well, why am I feeling this way or how do I fix that? But instead looking way more at those foundational things and no one wants to do those things because they're not sexy, but I'm like, you <laughs> cannot skip these. You just can't. I really like that. Just referring to yourself as a child. I mean, we really are at heart and that makes total sense. Not getting your snack, not getting enough sleep, not going outside to play. Um, and I think it's it's easy to get caught up in the, the, the go, go, go of this fast paced world. So you really need to be conscious and aware of that and intentional with setting that time for yourself. Because I mean, I can totally relate. And like, especially during launch time and things like that, you have to just like, I don't know, step away and pick up a meal that isn't just like a, a bar <laughs> and like actually sitting down at the table and going outside. I think something that I've been doing is prioritizing how I get outside. So I don't, I mean, like I definitely just get outside on my, my deck and I get my sunshine in, but I also like love my walks. I, I don't know if you feel the same way, but when I used to go and work for someone, 
and going into the office or anything like that involved steps and getting out of the house. And so working from home, I'm just like in my office all day. So I've been like prioritizing my morning walks and my afternoon walks and my evening walks. And just like, it is a lot more work because it's not as easy for me to just like go out and park somewhere and park really far. And um, so I do have to be like extra aware of those things, but in a way that is not going to beat myself up about it. Like, you know, not being rigid about it. I think that's one thing I've learned from like coming from the fitness industry. You got to meet your macros. You got to weigh your food. I mean, and like some people do okay with that and that's totally fine. But for me, um, being rigid with things and strict with things definitely took the heart and soul away from the thing that is. Like when your self-care becomes a task, that's when it's like, is it even self-care anymore? So I know it's been a journey <laughs> for sure. It's a, it's like it's so important to look at those habits and like why you do them. I feel like so many people want to know like what should I do to fix this? You know, like what food should I eat? What supplement should I take? And I'm like, why are you even doing what you're currently doing in the first place? You know, you have to look at the why behind your habits if you're going to change them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have dogs, so I feel like it makes it really easy to get the walks in because like I want to walk them. Um, I think it would be really hard if I didn't have dogs. I, I don't know if I would go on as many walks, but that definitely helps. Oh, yeah, I agree. I'm like, thank God I have these dogs. I have four of them. And- <gasps> oh, my gosh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> you have two, right? Yeah. Yeah, I have um well, I mean two are mine, but I live with my mom and my brother and he has one, my mom has one. So, like currently today it's just me in the house, so I have I'm uh, watching all four of them. So, that's amazing. Yeah. It's it's fun. It definitely has its um there's never a dull moment, but it can get sometimes. <laughs> anyway, um okay, so I want to talk about how you've been able to um kind of just avoid pregnancy if that is like a goal of yours still and what you've been doing since you haven't been on birth control. Yeah. So when I first got my cap IUD, I was like, there's got to be another way. I learned, I read a little bit about FAM and I asked my doctor and that's when I decided against it because he told me I was going to get pregnant. So like I kind of knew about it. It was brewing in the back of my mind. And then when I was like making the, I'm a planner. So when I was making the decision to get my copper IUD out, I decided that I would give myself like a year, which I know sounds aggressive of practicing FAM with my IUD. Cause it's, I mean, that is one benefit is that I was still ovulating. So I could understand my fertile signs. I could take my temperature, but they greatly increased when I got it out. It was very interesting to see. Um, yeah, they were like 96s. And as soon as I got it out, like 97s. Um, and then, yeah, so I started practicing it like a year before I took my copper IUD out and I used, Uh, I did classic like cervical mucus, basal body temperature. And so whenever I saw cervical mucus, I assumed that I was fertile and we would avoid or use protection. And then once I saw that temperature change and no more, we were fine. But I mean, we've done that for a long time. We are actually going to try to conceive soon. So we won't have to do that anymore. But that's what we worked for us for like four or five years. So. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's definitely one, uh, 
comment I get like, oh my gosh, I just really don't want to get pregnant. Like, what do I do? I don't trust myself. That's like what I hear most often. And so that deters people from even thinking about trying fam when once you get the hang of it, it's like 99.8% effective, right? Yeah. It's just as effective, if not more than the pill. And most people don't take the pill correctly. So (laughs) yeah, that's so true. I've had so many friends like in high school get pregnant while they were still on the pill because of, you know, they forgot a day or whatever. Um, I had an experience with the pill. I was like, well, I was trying to avoid my periods. Like, so I would, I can't remember what I did. It was like, you skip a week or I can't remember what it was. The sugar pills, right? You just, you just just go right to the hormone ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh my God. So, um, yeah. And then on top of that, I had a hard time remembering to take the pill. I I was like, okay, this is not working out for me. It put me into like a very deep depression from just like being on it for a month. And I had like gained 10 pounds right away. It was, um, supposedly like low hormone, but it was, it was not sitting well with my body. So I was like, all right, I'm just not going to get on it or not stay on it. But, um, okay, cool. So you guys might be trying soon. That's so exciting. Um, yeah, we just have to get into the same state (laughs) where I was part. So, (laughs) so is there anything in particular that you're doing in addition to your foundations to prep your body for pregnancy? Yes. I, I recently, probably in the past few months have started steaming, which I don't know if you have any experience with, but it's my new obsession. Um, and you can do this whole, basically it's like, I'm, I, I am working with someone. She's like guiding me with it. And the company's called Katara, which is kind of like Kiara. Um, (laughs) but, uh, it made me think of you when I got it, but basically it's like, she's had, she had me do every other day for a full cycle, uh, for two cycles. And this next one, cause we're going to, in September, we're going to actually start trying. And I'm like, should I put this out there? But it's fine. Um, <laughs> if if we have issues, I'm just going to be honest about it. I don't care. But basically, it's get, we're, I do it every day for a whole cycle before you go to conceive. And it does like a whole complete like uterine shedding and like oh reboot. So it's she's like, it's one of the best things that you can do when you're prepping. Um for conception and the main it's funny because I I reached out to her and I got the whole kit because I wanted it for postpartum mm-hmm. but I was like I I need to I don't want to be over I know I'm going to be overwhelmed at that time like there's no way you're not and so I was like I want to have this down before I get pregnant so that I can use it postpartum to help with healing because there's some cool research on the benefits of that and she's like yeah no it's great so we'll have you do it every day before and then at the end of your pregnancy when you're like 37 weeks you can start steaming to encourage labor and um like a smooth labor and delivery so it's it's really cool that's one of the things i added though wow i i love it i'm going to look them up i'm so intrigued i um i remember trying steaming a couple years ago I just ordered like a kit and then I like DIY'd it at home. I don't know if you have like a whole stool and set up or anything, but I would just boil my herbs and then I'd put it in a bowl and then I would put it in the toilet and then I would just put it on the toilet. I was like, whatever, it works. I wasn't like too sure about it, um, but I was intrigued about the research postpartum. Like what is it just um, better recovery? Yeah, it helps with healing, especially if women have any like tears 
or anything, but I mean, it's just very, first of all, it's very interesting. I heard about the study on Fertility Friday's podcast. I can't remember the name of the woman that did the study. I think it's the woman from Steamy Chick. Um, but she, they like went through and it's like, you know, your, your postpartum checkups are a joke when you hear about what the, like they don't do anything at the doctor. I'm like, what? This is insane. So with this study, they had doulas and it, they weren't even doing that much steaming, which is the interesting thing. So it makes you wonder like how effective, how different would it be? But the women that did the steaming versus the ones that didn't, and they had different time frames and like amounts and stuff, uh, they had improved healing if they had any tears. Um, they even looked at like pelvic floor health and continence and everything. So it was really interesting that that they basically did like a pilot. It was like a small study. They're hoping that it would get picked up and it, I don't think it has yet. Mm. Um, even though it was super successful, so you yeah. would think that it would. Yeah, of course. I'm kind of yeah. like not surprised at the same time, but that's awesome. Um, so it's just prepping your body in that sense. And it feels really good. And you do it, it for like, was it like 20 minutes? So that depends on the person. Um, and like the length of your cycle, like if you have a shorter cycle, you should do a shorter steam. Uh, if you have like a health history with like maybe recurrent UTIs, yeast infections, those people do better with a shorter steam, like 10 minutes. Uh, some people can do up to like 30 though. So it just kind of depends on your background. Mm, that's awesome. So what is your husband doing? <laughs> so he, everyone's always like, do you have anyone that you recommend for men's health? I'm like, it's all the same guy. Like, it's really not – I just, like, it's really not that different. Um, mm -hmm. He does hair testing, like, every time I do it, like, a few times a year. Um, he's He takes very similar supplements, but he has sickle cells, so his are a little bit different. Um, but, yeah, it's – I mean, that cured – that, I mean, he's never, he has not had any iron issues like since we've wow. done a lot of the copper and vitamin A stuff for him, which has been amazing because um, he's in the military and you can't have those kind of issues. Yeah. So that has been amazing, but his is pretty similar. He tends to have higher calcium. So he does take more vitamin K2 than I do, um, but really similar stuff. He's had a lot of stress lately. So just been working on adding in some adaptogens for him to hopefully calm him down and try to compensate for that. And he does a lot of adrenal cocktails because um, he works out a lot. So he's always sweating and losing electrolytes, but it's pretty similar. Yeah. I, I really don't, I, I agree with you. I don't think that what a woman is doing is going to be that much different during a preconception phase for a man. Um, I think it's fun to do it together too. If this is all, yeah. you do. I get a lot of clients who are like, my husband loves everything that I'm making and it's so fun and he's doing the adrenal cocktails and they're just loving it. Like, thank you so much. Um, so yeah, I think that is, I mean, pretty self-explanatory. So that's awesome that you guys hair test. I need to do another hair test soon <laughs> on myself. Um, okay, cool. So other than, I mean, I don't think there's really much else that I need to talk about with you. Um, unless there's something else that you would like to mention. I mean, I don't, I know like some of the stuff we were kind of talking about was just like, what are you, what are you thinking of? Like, how do you prepare for pregnancy if you have a hormone concern or PCOS, mm, yeah. like that sort of thing? Yeah. I feel like, and it's, I mean, like the foundations are so huge. I feel like 
you know, when it really gets down to the nitty gritty and you're like trying to conceive, like even for me, I've, I'm definitely doing like hormone testing. I did an iodine test, which I'm very curious to see mm. how that goes. Cause obviously you don't see that on the hair test. Um, but I, I think when it comes to like prepping for a pregnancy, for myself and what I recommend my clients do is like, if you can like get testing done. Cause I think when you're on this whole journey, it's like, you know, you might follow like both of us online and you're making all these food changes and you're doing adrenal cocktails, but then all of a sudden you get pregnant and women are like, wait, I can't do any of this stuff anymore. You know? And they're kind of like questioning everything and everything feels like scary. I feel like if you can get the testing done and know your levels, then it's not scary because you know what you need. Um, so that's been like a very big focus of mine is just making sure I know where I'm at, especially like retinol. I just see that I see low levels and so many women like dropping that third trimester. So just trying to know like, okay, where am I at now before we actually conceive? And then, you know, I'll definitely test again during pregnancy, but just knowing like, what do I really need versus like feeling scared of like, should I take this? Should I take that? Like instead just knowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Having just extra clues, extra information, especially when you are passing things along to your baby. And also so that you have an easier time recovering. Um, I think that the more repleted you are going into it, the more um, you'll be able to adapt to the new stressors that you have in your life um, after giving birth. So for sure. And that retinol status, I mean, I feel like every single person that I've ran a Flamante on um, has low vitamin A. There's like not one person that I've come across that has had sufficient vitamin A stores. So I'm personally on cod liver oil because my vitamin A was very, very low. Um, but I've, I've noticed like the most significant changes in my skin, my hair, my response to stress. Um my digestion even just like so many benefits from the cod liver oil and something that I was so afraid to take for like the longest time. I know (laughs) everyone's so afraid. I'm like, guys, it doesn't have that many poofs in it. Like it's, it's not that bad. And it's like, it's a whole food source of vitamin A, but I just think of how many women are, I'm sure you get this all the time is they're like, but I can't take beef liver when I'm pregnant, you know, or I can't eat beef liver. And it's like, a third of women enter pregnancy with a vitamin A deficiency. It's just that our society, like in even our medical system, they assume that we don't have deficiencies because a lot of our population is overweight and obese. But it's like you can still have deficiencies um, and because we get enough food. You know, they like assume that, oh, if you're getting enough food, you have enough nutrients. But vitamin A is very common. And I have a lot of clients with PCOS and calcium, magnesium, and potassium are huge for them. And those all impact blood sugar. And so it's like we have to really understand what where your deficiencies are at so that you can have a healthy pregnancy where you feel good, you recover well postpartum. Um, but yeah, vitamin A is like so, so important. Iodine too, that's why I'm experimenting with the urine testing for iodine because that's obviously like, you know, so many women, especially if you have the history of PCOS, you are much more likely to have a sluggish thyroid and deal with that hypothyroidism. And so understanding like, are you actually deficient in iodine? Cause it is a tricky one to supplement with. Like a lot of things have to be in a really good place. You need to make sure you actually need it. Um, but it's so, so important for producing thyroid hormone. And I can, it just makes you wonder like, 
why so many more women are dealing with thyroid issues when pregnant now. And I do think a lot of it's vitamin A and iodine related. Why do you think that everyone is so depleted in vitamin A? Why is it so hard? (laughs) I mean, a lot of us don't really eat organs anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't grow up eating organ meats. My mom used to make liver for my dad and I thought it was the most disgusting thing ever. Um, He loves, it's like a treat for him. I'll make pate. I'm going there this weekend actually. And I was like, I'll bring like duck liver pate. It's the only one that I can eat. And he like loves it. But a lot of people don't grow up eating those foods. A lot of people eliminate dairy. Mm. And eggs, which are like our only sources of vitamin A. I did that. I think that's why I had so many issues with copper because I was paleo. I was not eating any dairy. I did not eat organ meats. So I think that contributed to a lot of my hormone issues too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're so right. My dad is kind of like the same way too. He loves organ and liver, like liver with onions and just like how his mom used to make it for him. Um, I was reading this book. I don't know if you've read it. It's, um, I have it on my desk, Awakening Fertility. Um, it's an awesome book. And they were just talking about like how our great grandparents used to have chickens and they used to eat locally sourced produce and, um, they were eating organ meats and nothing was like, there was no real food because everything they ate was real food. Like that wasn't yeah. a thing back then, but now we're like, just eat real food, eat real food. Um, and yeah, we've, we've definitely lost touch with that, <laughs> but um, I know liver's hard. Liver can be hard. So going back to what you said about like, I can't eat beef, beef liver during pregnancy. Do you think that's true? Like, what- no, I think it's, and this is why I think even if you were to only get your retinol tested, I would say just get your retinol done. You know, you can go on request a test, order just retinol, um, and get that done anywhere unless you're in like New York um, or yeah. New Jersey. But you you can get it in another state if you want to make the drive. But um, I think it's just so important to know what your levels are because most women are depleted. So then it's like, okay, well, how can I add more vitamin A in food base? Because all the research on birth defects and vitamin A are with synthetic forms. They're not with food forms. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's in, and there, it's like a crazy amount of research where it's like most women are depleted, but then you're still scared because you don't want to cause birth defects. So if you just know your levels and you know that yours are low, then you know, okay, I do need to eat beef liver then or take cod liver oil. Um, then you know that that's going to be something that's going to be helpful for you versus not knowing and then worrying and stressing that you're not doing something good and constantly taking it and not taking it. I see that kind of stuff a lot. So I feel like if you can just test and not guess, you're going to feel so much more confident. And if your levels are fine, then, you know, maybe have it less, but I doubt they'll be fine. Yeah, that's so true. Is there a general recommendation that you'd make for like intake of liver per week? The safe, the what's generally considered safe is four ounces per week for pregnant women. Okay. Okay. So it's like a little less than an ounce a day. Okay. And I get questions about like doing the the raw beef liver as well during pregnancy. What do you think about that? I think that people have to make their own decision when it comes to that. A lot of my clients do because it's they it's either they get the encapsulated version or if they're trying to save money, then they'll make their own kind of frozen beef liver capsules. They freeze it for two weeks, buy it frozen and I mean, technically then like any pathogens shouldn't be living. Um, 
but it, they're also not taking a very large amount, you know? So I think that's kind of the other people get worried about that. It's like, well, how much are you taking? What quality is it? You know, ideally you're going to get the best quality that you can. I get duck liver from white oak pastures because it's frozen online. It's easy. Um, and no matter where I live, they can ship to me. So it's like finding a quality source that you support. You can also do cooked. Like I have a lot of people that do a mix. They'll do like some raw on the days that they don't eat some like liver pate or something. Um, and so that way they're not overdoing it, but they're getting like a nice mix of cooked and raw. Cause obviously, you know, the nutrients are going to be different in those. So, okay. So can I ask what, <laughs> what does the duck liver taste like? I'm so intrigued because I used to cook my beef liver too. And I used to, I used to soak it in raw milk overnight and then I would chop it up into fine bits and saute it with like so much butter and onions and peppers and like curry powder and garam masala and like put it on like some mashed potatoes or something. It was really, really good. But then what I had a hard time with, I think where you get your liver from matters like a hundred percent in the taste. Um, I remember at one point where I was getting it from they had ran out or something. And so I just got some from Whole Foods. It was grass fed, but it was not the same. So um, I'm curious. I love white oak pastures. I'm curious what the duck liver tastes like. Why is it so much better? Like, is it more palatable? It it's it's not it's more mild. You know how chicken liver is a lot more mild than beef liver. It doesn't have the copper content. So I tend to try to get the duck or the beef liver. But to me, it's like it's so much more mild. I always make it into a pate and my pate has like so much dairy. It's like, is it liver anymore? We don't know, but it's so good. And I, I always soak it in milk for, I don't, I only did like an hour overnight's a good idea, but like an hour tops. And then I cook it quickly. I don't even add a lot of seasoning when I cook it. Cause I put a ton of herbs into the pate and the food processor when I make it, but it's like cream cheese, butter, heavy cream, duck liver, a ton of herbs. And you cannot, it, there's no, you know, that after like metal metallic type of taste you get nothing, nothing. And what do you eat it with? I usually either put it on like sourdough crackers or like a piece of sourdough um, or like Siete Foods chips, but usually like crackers, I'll just have it as like a snack. That's awesome. Well, I'm going to check it out. And I think that might be a nice solution for a lot of people not wanting to do the the raw beef liver or freezing it and then doing it raw. And then um, the encapsulated, if they're just trying to save some money, because liver is relatively like cheap. Like, I mean, it's it, organs yeah. are really cheap more than the even the high quality ones. Like yeah. that's the benefits. Like, I think it's like, I don't know. I want to say it's like between like 10 and $12 a pound mm-hmm. for the duck liver mm-hmm. from white oak pastures. That might be wrong, but I usually I, like, I make pate probably like twice a month cause it'll last a bit, but I usually make the capsules with the duck liver. Mm, you make the capsules. Yeah. Well, I don't like, you know, I just cut it up and then swallow it. Oh, frozen. Oh my God. Are you, like, no, that's like so aggressive. I would never do that. I just like cut it up and freeze it and then like swallow it. Um, but it, it's so much cheaper than getting the, you know, I, I do like ancestral supplements and like perfect supplements and stuff. Oh, yeah. but For like travel, you know, if yeah. you're flying somewhere, I think, you know, just having those on hand is nice. Um, 
But yeah, retinol is really important. So I'm glad we established that for fertility, pregnancy, postpartum, just for life, just yeah. for, for being a human in this world today. Um, okay, cool. So I think that's that just about wraps everything up, Amanda. Um, thank you so, so much for coming on the Functional Fertility Podcast. Um, thank you for listening, everyone. Until next time. Bye. That was such a good episode with Amanda. I'm really grateful for her coming on and just like being so open and honest with us and just sharing as much as um, as much of her journey as possible and sharing with us that she is looking to conceive later on this year. Um, I'm so, so excited for her and happy for her. Um, and I'm also really excited to look into Katara and maybe start yoni steaming again now that I've heard those benefits because I, um, like I said in the show, I have tried it before and I was like, I don't really know if this is working, but of course with anything, it's like consistency with these things. And if there's nothing else that I get from it, it's the benefit of relaxing. It really feels so, so good and therapeutic. So that's a benefit in and of itself. Um, I also wanted to talk a little bit about being an athlete and hormone imbalances. This is something that I'm going to talk about more with Adina Rubin when she comes on the show again, but I can relate to this so much and having to back off of the gym, like it, it really does hurt Um, because not only was it something that you loved, but at the same time, like you have diet culture in the background and if you eat, then you need to make sure that you work out enough and like you got to earn that meal and blah, 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 blah. So taking a step back, I like there were moments in that journey, um, similar to Amanda's where I felt guilty for eating foods and I didn't follow that up with a workout or I didn't do a workout beforehand. And I was like, am I going to gain weight? Is all of my progress just going to go to shit? Like there are so many thoughts like that circulating in your mind when you're doing something like that, especially when you're so accustomed to going to the gym six days a week, behaving like a little man and just killing yourself essentially. Um, and just going, you know, super crazy into the gym. So I know what that feels like. And for anyone who's on a similar path, just know that there is more benefit to slowing down. It's not only going to help you heal your hormones, but it's also going to help you um, and teach you, teach you so many things. Like, who are you outside of the gym? Um, And for me, the gym was also like a form of punishment because I really started going to the gym because I had a lot of weight to lose. And so that's kind of when I fell in love with it. Um, But, and there's a balance to these things, guys. Like I am back in the gym now and it feels so good. And I have been weight training from home. Um, And so it's kind of just like easing back into things. I'm not afraid of working out anymore. Whereas before I met Adina, there was a time where I was afraid of lifting weights because I thought it was just too much for my precious little hormones. But there is a way to incorporate movement that you love, that is functional, that can get you stronger, that can help build that metabolism and metabolic rate um, so that it's not working against you. So I'm really, really excited for Adina to come on the show. We're going to talk about like pelvic floor health um, in combination with strength training and stuff. 
So stay tuned for that as it pertains to preconception. Um, but yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. We love Amanda. Be sure to give Amanda a follow on Instagram if you aren't following her already and check out her master your minerals course. Um, I've linked that in the description below and we will see you guys next week.